Well, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good. Are you, are you ready for some, some football, right? I mean, I think something is happening today. I don't think we're licensed to say it. Caleb said, make sure you don't say the actual word from the stage, right? Um, but there's a big game uh, happening uh, this afternoon, right? Um, I don't know if you're dialed into that or not, but it uh, should be a fun time. But we're glad that you're here. We know that God has some, some big things for us today, this morning, as we jump into his word. We've been in the series called Spirit Lead Me. And the, the big idea of, of this series is that we want you to put your hope in the gospel so much that you would follow the spirit wherever he may be leading you. That's our hope, that we, that we would be a people that put our trust in the gospel that would say wherever, wherever you are leading me, spirit, I am, I am ready, I am willing to follow you because I'm trusting in the gospel, in this series, primarily, we're going to be looking at the eighth chapter of Romans. It's probably one of the most beautiful chapters in all of the Bible. And we talked about it last week, how in, in this particular chapter, Paul takes a moment to kind of switch his hat from being this legal attorney person that's defending the gospel to now being a pastoral type that's coming alongside of us to encourage us. In Romans chapters 1 through 5, Paul, he clearly lays out the gospel so that the churches in Rome would be unified in the gospel. And then he spends chapter 6 and chapter 7 defending the gospel. And then when you get to chapter 8, he then introduces us to the idea of the Holy Spirit. 21 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans chapter 8, or the Spirit of God is mentioned in Romans chapter 8. That's more than any other place in the Bible, any other chapter in the Bible. And it starts out with this great declaration in verse 1, and we talked about it last week. For those that are in Christ, for those that have put their faith in Jesus, you have good news. There is no condemnation for you, and you are free from sin and free from death. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture of who we are. That's the good news of the gospel, the work of Christ, what he did on the cross for us. But it's one thing to, to know that to know the theology behind that, to know the status of who you are, but it's a completely next step for you to experience it. And that's what we hope to see happen as we study through this eighth chapter of Romans, that you would understand what it means to, to go beyond just knowledge, to go beyond just the idea of knowing your status, but actually to be able to experience what it means that you are not condemned. You are now walking in freedom. And the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. It is God himself that has come to us so that we may experience the gospel in our lives and follow the Spirit wherever he may be leading. Now we're going to turn to Romans chapter 8 again. We're going to begin our study today in the 12th chapter. And my friend Jess is going to come and she is going to read for us. And as she comes, I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time that we have together. We know that in these moments, as we come to your word, that we are reading life itself. This is not just another book. This is your living word that is spoken to us and gives us life. And so we ask that in these moments that, that we would quiet all other voices, even our own flesh that seeks to compete that we would listen from you, and we would hear, and we would obey. 
We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those who led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, last week, um, I began by taking us to, to France for a moment, right? We talked a little bit about Les Mis, and uh, we, we also know that it's the, the story that before it hit the stage, it was written by French novelist Victor Hugo. Well, today, we're going to take another work by Victor, and we're going to step back into France, and one of his great works is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And in this particular story, you have the female lead who is Esmeralda, and she is coping with prejudice against her own people, the gypsies, in this story. During the medieval time period, um, gypsies were greatly frowned upon as they immigrated from parts of southern, su- southern Asia uh, to, to Europe, as seen in The Hunchback. They did not have certain privileges and opportunities as the other French people, they were always on the outside, treated as outsiders who did not belong. Well, in the musical adaptation, Esmeralda sings about these things. She sings about her people and about those who are shunned by others. And she sings this as a prayer. She says, I ask for nothing. I can get by. But I know so many less lucky than I. Please help my people, the poor and downtrod. I thought we all were the children of God. God, help the outcast, the children of God. Let me ask you this morning, do you sometimes feel like an outcast? You sometimes feel like you just don't quite belong. Maybe if you were honest with yourself and honest with others today and begin to peel back a little bit and and show who you are, there may be a little bit of fear because you would feel like maybe you don't even belong in this room. If you really knew who I was, then, then you might maybe would escort me out of here. I don't quite feel like I fit in. I don't quite feel like I belong. Have you been there before? I know I have. Where I look at my life and I think, I I don't know if I I fit in with with the rest of what God is doing and and what God's story is for my life. As I look at my life, there's some things there that just don't make sense. And I feel like I'm not as part of the family sometimes as maybe someone else might be that seems to have it all together. 
Now, the gospel, it, it is the work of Jesus. And what Paul wants us to know and what God wants us to know as we see the work of Jesus is that you no longer are a condemned person. And what that means for you is that you've been brought into the family of God because of what Jesus has done for you and for me, we belong. And the work of the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us to experience then what it means to belong to God and to belong to his family. I love verse 14 that just kind of shows us really one of the primary functions then of the Holy Spirit. It says this, for all those led by God's spirit are in fact God's sons, part of God's family. Those of you that have put your faith in Christ, that have put your faith in the work of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you have been given the Holy Spirit and are led by the Spirit so that you may know that you belong to God's family, that you are his son, that you are his daughter. And it changes things for us. It's not just that we get our sins forgiven. That's part of the gospel, and I'm so thankful for it. But there's so much more to the gospel that we also have been brought into the family, and it it changes then our relationship to our old self, our old story, our old sin, what Paul calls the flesh. Here's what Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 8. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live According to the flesh. Now, Paul's not talking about your physical body here. He's talking about your old self. He's talking about sin. He's talking about that part of us that was rebellious and what he said earlier, hostile towards God. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the flesh. We are not obligated to live to to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, what we struggle with so often is that we still give the flesh, we still give our old self a voice in our life. And what happens is that it keeps us from from hearing then the voice of the Holy Spirit. We still sometimes feel like we owe our old story, something of our lives. And we get comfortable with the flesh. We get comfortable with our sin. We get comfortable with the old story of who we are. It just sounds reasonable, the flesh. It comes to us and it says things like, well, you should put yourself at the center of your story. It's all about you and your happiness, and what you want out of life. And it's, it's not about others. It's not about anyone else but you and your happiness. And you've got to be committed to it. You've got to be obligated to it. Well, what does Paul say? If we live life like that, what does it lead to? It leads to death. But it sounds so reasonable. Why wouldn't I be committed to myself? Why wouldn't I be committed to my own happiness? Let me kind of bring it home for for me a little bit. 
Sometimes I get to a place where if I feel like my life isn't being considered, where people aren't thinking about me and maybe people are offending me, sometimes I might even say something like, if I don't get an apology from the one who hurt me, I'm going to explode. I know I've been there. It's all about my story. It seems reasonable that the flesh would have demands on us and that we would be obligated to it because isn't it trying to put us at the center of it all? That's precisely the problem. We aren't supposed to be at the center of it all. There's only one who's supposed to be right there in the center of our lives. And that's Jesus Christ, our God who has come to die on a cross for our sins, to experience the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could walk in freedom from sin and from death. And we do not have an obligation to the old story. Matter of fact, we owe everything to Jesus. We are obligated to him because he is doing something brand new in us. We must be a people that, that live by the Spirit and not try to find life in our old story, in our flesh, putting our lives and ourselves at the middle, at the center of our life. Paul, he goes on to explain uh, these two types of experiences that one might have in very illustrative detail. He says this in verse 15, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into, into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I think there is a very unique reason why he uses this term slavery. Now, of course, in Paul's day, slavery does look a little different than American slavery, but one of the things that probably is the same is that within Paul's day, a slave was measured, their value was measured by how they worked, how they performed what you brought to the house. And if you didn't measure up, and if you didn't perform in the way that you should be performing, what does that lead to? Well, fear. Because you may be put out of the household. You may be put out of the the family if you don't measure up to being valuable in your work. Fear. That's the experience for us when we begin to put our selves at the center of the story because it's all about how we then can perform for our happiness. It's all about what we can do to to progress in life. It's all about then, then our particular story with us at the center surrounded by fear. Paul says, that's not what you have been given. So don't fall back on that. There's something brand new that you've been given. And here we see the spirit described by the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. A child is measured, their value is measured not by what they do, but by their relationship. There's a picture here of JFK with his son in the Oval Office. This is the most prestigious office in all of America, right? And not just anybody can walk up into this office. 
right? Like, you've got to have the credentials to get into that place. And you pretty much had to work for those credentials to get into that place. But not his son, who's hanging there at his feet, there under his desk. His son has done nothing, really, to be in that place, has no credentials, no work that he's put in to be into one of the most prestigious offices in the land, but he's there. Why? Because that is more than just the president. That is his father. Now, Jesus, when he was with his disciples, he taught them how to pray. And he said, when you pray, pray like this, our father, right? For the, for the Jewish people and for these Jewish disciples, this was shocking to them because they had never spoken the name of God. They weren't supposed to speak the name of God. They barely wrote it out, just Y-H-W-H, because they didn't want to even say it in their heads. They, they definitely didn't want to speak it because God was completely holy and other and separate from them, and they could not get to God. That was their understanding of who God is in their lives. That was their experience with God. But Jesus, he flipped it upside down. He said, no, when you cry out to God, say, our Father. Intimate language of belonging. You belong, not because of anything that you will be able to do, but you will belong because of what I will do on that cross for you. We know what Jesus did, right? We know the story of the gospel, at least I hope you do. Jesus, he came and he paid the price for our sin on the cross and we are forgiven in him and we get all of his righteousness, all of his holiness, everything about Jesus we get, that's the gospel. We, we get to trade places. Jesus, he takes our place on the cross and we get everything about Jesus. I, I wanna take you to the cross for a moment. Matthew chapter 27 Verse 46, there's a statement that Jesus makes from the, cro the cross, quoting from Psalms, but you see within this quote that he is stepping into our experience. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? see, Jesus on the cross in this moment is experiencing our sin, experiencing our separation from God, experiencing our, our abandonment. And what is true about the gospel is that Jesus became an orphan so that we could become the adopted son of God. He, he took on our abandonment so that we can belong and be a part of the family of God. I don't know how you feel this morning. I don't know if you feel like an outcast. I don't know if you feel like you're somewhat on the outside of everything, that you're not as much a part of the family as maybe someone else. Well, God would say differently if you've put your faith in Christ. You are a son. You are a child of God. You belong to his family. Because of what Christ has done for you. He didn't just pay for your sins. He also gave you a new life, a new family, to be a part of the family of God. So what then is our response? 
to all of what God has done for us. And I want to take a few minutes to really work through this with you because while this is true, how do we experience it? How do we experience the Holy Spirit in our life helping us to, to know who we are? What does that look like for us? I want to take you to, to verse 13 here. The last part of verse 13 says this, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is called, a, 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 there's this big phrase here, the mortification of the flesh. I know that sounds very uppity. Mortification of the flesh, but it is a popular, it is a, it is a doctrine that is well talked about. And, and really what it gets down to is that we must be a people that kill the demands of the flesh. The flesh is going to speak to you. Your old self is going to come and talk to you. It's going to try to have a voice in your life. And I'm not asking you, the Bible's not asking you to suppress it. That's not it. That's not healthy. That's just going to explode and be unhealthy in your life. The Bible's not asking you then to just ignore it. That's not healthy. That's not going to be helpful for you in your life. No, the the Bible is asking you to kill it, to kill it, to put it to death the flesh, the voice that it has in your life, that it would be no more. How do we do that? Well, right here, this verse, what does it say at the very beginning or the the beginning of the verse that we read? But if what? By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. I would just suggest that the first thing that we need to do is we need to pray. When we start to hear the voice of the flesh that says, put, put yourself at the center of it all. Make it all about your life. When we start to live that way, we need to pray to the Lord and ask him to send the spirit to help us to kill that which is trying to be a voice in our life that has no more voice. To pray, to seek the Lord. I think secondly, we should be a people that are about the word of God. Jesus, when he was in the wilderness there and he was tempted by the enemy, what did he do time and time again? Three times, in fact, he quoted scripture back to the enemy, did he not? There's power in this word. So I would encourage you to memorize scripture. And when you feel like the old voice starting to, starting to have power again, go to the word of God and fight. Know the truths of what God has said about you and who you are and what he's doing in your life. I think also a good step for us when we start to hear that that voice come back of the flesh, that we'd be a people that seek accountability. And this isn't like finding somebody that's just, I need to confess to so you can make me feel bad about myself. That's not what accountability is. Accountability is saying, hey, I've got a problem in my life and I need your help. I need you to be a friend. I need you to encourage me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to check in on me. It's something that I want to get out of my life because I want to be a person that's led by the Spirit. And this is causing a problem for me. It's clogging everything up. And I need you to stand in there and be a friend, be an encourager to me. That we would be a people that are serious about killing the flesh, that we're killing the sin that is in our life. Now, you might think, well, that just sounds a lot like legalism, Chris. (laughs) I think sometimes we throw that word around too much. God is demanding from us holiness. He's asking from us holiness. 
I love the way that W.H. Thomas says this and how the gospel brings us all the way home. He says the word legalism is overused. Sometimes I tell my students at the seminary where I teach that they may use this word once a year and no more. All too often, legalism is employed whenever we consider obedience inconvenient. Oh, no. <laughs> Let me say that again. Often, legalism is employed whenever we consider obedience inconvenient. Legalism then becomes a scare tactic word masking an underlying indifference or mistrust of radical holiness. God has made a way for you to no longer be condemned, for you to walk in freedom from sin and death. It has no more power over you. You're not obligated to give it any more power. And so God is asking us to join with the Holy Spirit and to mortify the flesh, to kill the flesh. I think it's one step for us, but I think another step for us is that we would be a people that are thankful for what we have in Christ. Let me ask you, why do you sin? Think about that for a moment. Why do I sin? Probably a few different answers that you're thinking about right now, but I think it can be all summed up in we sin because we like it. We put ourselves at the center of it all because we like ourselves. <laughs> Our heart has an, a wicked affection towards sin. What we need to do is be a people that see Jesus for who he is and our affection for Jesus continue to grow. Our affection for Jesus, as it grows, our affection then for sin will then weaken. So it's not all just about killing sin. That's part of it. But the other part of it is to put your hope, set your hope on Jesus and find the beauty that is in Christ. We see this in verses 16 and 17. I'll read this for you. It says the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit himself, testifies together with our spirit. Now, just stop for a moment. The, the Holy Spirit works in this way, that he comes to you to give testimony about who Jesus is to your spirit. That's, that's part of what it means to be led by the spirit, that we would be so led by the spirit that we clearly see Jesus for who he is. Listen to the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Spend time listening to what God's Spirit is saying about Jesus. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, that was a lot, but that is some good stuff for us that the Spirit is testifying about. First, the Spirit says that you are a child of God, and everything that Jesus has inherited from the Father, you also inherit it, because now Jesus is your brother, and you are co-heirs with Christ. That's good news. 
That's the beauty of what God has done in our lives. That's how much you belong to the family of God. That what the Father has given to Jesus, he's also going to give to you. You're not just sitting at the kiddie table. You're right there at the banquet table with Jesus, enjoying the finest of the inheritance. Not only that, it says that as we are co-heirs, that if we suffer, we suffer with him. So this just changes everything, every painful thing that we've ever been through, any suffering that we've ever felt. One of the things that, that we get from this new life that we have in God is that all of our suffering has a purpose and a plan, and it's connected now to Jesus. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is just happenstance. God is at work in it all, even in the most painful of places. We can trust in him. Why? Because we belong. We belong as heirs, co-heirs with Christ. It's the reason that the sonship language is used over and over. Yes, we can say son and daughter and children of God, but the idea here is that everything in Christ was passed down to the son, us, to inherit all of this from Jesus. Not only that, we also inherit glory. It says, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, you may not see anything close to glory this side of heaven. There's coming a day where Jesus will be glorified and we will be glorified with him. We have a hope. We have a future. We get glimpses of it every now and then. There's coming a day where we will see glory that we get because of what Jesus has done for us. May we be a people that see Jesus clearly, that our affections for him begin to grow and our affections for sin are killed. We want to be so secure in the gospel that we would follow the Holy Spirit wherever he may lead and I know that he is leading us to experience what it means to belong and to be a part of the family of God. I want to invite Jake to come into play. And as he does, um, I want to tell you about Quasimodo. <laughs> He's the hunchback, right, in the story. He knew nothing more than the bells that he rung and the viewpoint that he had over the city of Paris. He knew of his physical appearance, and despite being often humiliated, Esmeralda saw him not just as a person, but a person with value. Heaven's Light is a song that he sung in the, in the musical. It's a song where he's singing about knowing nothing about the outside life, outside of the, the cathedral, until he met Esmeralda. And so he says this, he sings this. Now, no face as hideous as my face was ever meant for heaven's light. But suddenly an angel has smiled at me and touched my face without a trace of fright. He goes on to say, my cold, dark tower seems so bright. I swear it must 
be heaven's light. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us that comes to light up our life. When we live as the children of God who do not put ourselves at the center of the story, but instead continue to hold on to the gospel as the center of it all. And any other voice that's trying to compete and trying to come in and, and, and clog up everything that we would be a people that put our trust so much in the gospel that we would, we would kill that voice so that we may hear from the Holy Spirit and follow after him wherever he may lead. Would you take a moment just to bow your head and, and we're gonna, I'm gonna ask a couple of questions this morning to help you process and to think about what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. We are not obligated to the flesh, but to God. And so the first question, what in particular makes you grateful for God's work in your life? What in particular makes you grateful for God's work in your life? Take a moment just to listen to the Holy Spirit. Second question, have you ever felt that your flesh was making demands? What did that look like in your life? Have you ever felt that, the, that your flesh was making demands? What does that look like in your life? And final question. What initiatives can you take to kill sin and to live as a child of God, experiencing what it means to belong to his family? What initiatives can you take to kill sin and live as a child of God, experiencing what it means to belong to his family? Our Father, we thank you that we can call out to you daddy Abba we thank you that you have done away with our sin that it no longer has power in our lives and we owe it nothing we thank you for the cross in which we owe everything Father I pray that we would be a people that live by the spirit that we don't try to give voice, we don't try to give power to the old way of living, but we would live by the Spirit. Father, I pray that as we continue to put our trust in the Spirit, that you would help us to see that we belong to you. You've created a place for us. It's not just some back room, but we get to be right with our Father sitting there at your feet. Our value is found in what you have done for us and the relationship that we have in you. Thank you for Christ. It's in his name that we pray all of these things. The strong name of Jesus.